Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. Today we're going to talk about good dogs. We should introduce ourselves. We will. We've got to wait for the music to finish. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And we want to shout out to our Ohio superheroes, Governor Mike DeWine and Dr. Amy Acton, uh, who have been keeping us uh, well, informed. well informed and entertained every day at 2 o'clock. Uh, and also uh, Lieutenant Governor... John Houston. John Houston. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Who, who was nice, too. <laughs> yep. Now, Ohio, <sighs> Ohio is doing a, a super job about keeping everyone informed about what's going on and the predictions. And, you know, hey, the fact is it's going to get tough here in the next couple weeks. But uh, I think that's about all. Right now, we're all still hanging in there. Yeah. Everyone here in the house is still healthy. And we do want to give a shout-out to Kathy, who was our subject matter expert last week, mm -hmm. who talked about um, unemployment in the state of Ohio. Kathy is retired, but Kathy is voluntarily going back to, uh, to serve the people of Ohio to help relieve the load for all the unemployment claims that are going in, she is voluntarily going back to try to help relieve some of that load and to help the uh, the staff where she worked because they are being overworked right now a lot to try to handle the load. Yeah, and that's also um, a job opportunity as well. If you are one of those people who is currently out of work um, or furloughed and is looking for uh, something to do kind of in the interim, um, I know that... Uh, at least in Ohio, Governor Act or Governor Acton, Governor DeWine and Dr. Acton put forth a call the other day. Um, if you are low risk, uh, then maybe consider going to work at the grocery store where a lot of those people are over overworked, overtaxed, and also the unemployment office. Uh, if you are able to go work for the Department of Unemployment, uh, then you are going to help people get their claims processed a whole lot faster. So, we don't know what the future is going to hold, and th they're predicting that within the next two weeks, Ohio is going to get hit pretty hard. Um, I so saw a model the other day that said the spike is going to come on my birthday. I'm so excited. So, if there is no show next week, it means I've got the COVID, and Kim doesn't know how to run the equipment. Uh, I'm going to make him teach me, though, sometime and in the next week. If if Kim gets it, I'll do my best to put out a show all by myself. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. That's all right. Now, if I get it, um, you know what I think that you should do? I think that you should have a crossover episode with our new uh, 13th hour studio show called A Half Hour of Your Life. Do you want to tell them about A Half Hour of Your Life? So, our granddaughter, while she is school's out in Ohio, and there's a good chance, right now they're saying for another two weeks or so, but there's a good chance that school is going to be canceled the rest of the rest of the school year. And like a lot of people are doing right now, the kids are getting homeschooled. They, they all had to go pick up their Chromebooks to learn, you know, to keep the school up and trying to give some extracurricular activities. So I am teaching Kellen how to do her own podcast. I'm teaching her how to do the equipment, how to run the board, how to go through, do the edits, and how to publish it. 
So joke's on you. As long as Kellen doesn't get corona, I can still put out episodes even if you're yeah. sick. Well, I've not taught her how to do all that yet, but she's learning. But she has, what, two, three episodes out now? Two episodes Two out episodes out now. Out now. Um, it's called A Half Hour of Your Life. You can find it on Podbean. Uh, because she is 11, we are not going to... For her, her safety and her protection, um, we're not going to do socials for her, but we will um, kind of plug her on our, our our social media a little bit and monitor it. Um, you can email her at halfhourkids at gmail dot com, um, and we're going to be monitoring that too. But we'll you know we'll pass along the messages, and she can maybe give you a shout out on the show. And for doing all this, one of her required. I mean, she's picking her own topics, but we did require her to do one topic that we all insisted on was internet safety for kids. And so she's working on that to try to get that out. But you know what? Enough about the COVID, enough about all that stuff. There's enough of that on the news. We want to kind of lighten the mood here, and we're going to talk about one of our favorite topics, Kim. Good dogs. I actually think my mom was the one that suggested this. She has a little puppy, um, my new little brother named Astro. I got to meet him for the first time this last week. He's a Jack Russell, and he's so cute. Um, She said she took him to the park the other day for the first time, and he got to play in a creek. And Astro hates bats, but he loves the creek, so... Yeah, like like a lot of dogs. Yeah, so so thanks, mom, for suggesting something that's um, we're not we're not going to use any more c words like no corona, no covid, and no cats. No cats. <laughs> okay, so the way the way this episode is going to run, we're going to talk about some famous dogs, or maybe not famous you might have heard of, but. How would you say it, Kim? Um, so when I was doing my research, I think that was actually one of my my search top or my search term was uh, famous good dogs. So um, or famous good dogs in history or something like that. Yeah. So it's it's dogs that have um, throughout history have done really good things or have been uh, just kind of known for for being amazing dogs and. You will get a bonus here is we are going to talk about two very special dogs to us. Who are not very famous. They're not famous, but we'll, we'll get to them. Is. So, Kim, you're going to start off with a dog named Oni. Uh, Oni, I am. Um, and I, I was already familiar with Oni before we uh, started um, kind of researching this week's show. And I knew that I really wanted to include him. So, Oni is a male dog. Male, M-A-I-L. Is a boy dog or? Both. Okay. Uh, male boy dog as well as an M-A-I-L dog. He was a terrier mix who belonged to a clerk in the mail office in Albany, New York. And Oni would come to work with this guy every day and sleep on the mailbags because he loved the smell. Well, when the clerk quit, he allowed Oni to stay on at the post office because he knew how much the dog loved it. And I, that would be hard for me, I think. If, if I had a dog and I knew that he, you know, I loved my dog, but I knew that he loved the male more, I think I would have a hard time saying, all right, you can stay. That's right. I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> anyway, the postal railway clerks would take Oni with them on the trains and he was considered good luck because none of the trains that he rode on ever wrecked. Well, I mean, a train wreck is not the most common thing happening anyway. Well, yeah, but... I mean, but okay, that's fine. It, it makes a good story. Yeah, I mean, but also, uh, well, we'll come back to this. 
But uh, Oni also wouldn't allow anyone but the clerks to touch the mailbags. Like, there's even one story that a bag got lost and Oni was lost too. And he stayed with the bag for like two days or something and wouldn't let anybody come near the bag. Is it? Oni is a good worker. He is because it a is very a good worker. Federal crime to mess with the United States mail. <laughs> and so I hope they gave Oni some extra dog chow. Oh, like. just wait. Okay. So the Albany train station was a major hub, so he literally traveled all over the country. At one point in 1893, now this is where I get a little confused because they said that, um, you know, it was said that none of the trains he ever rode on wrecked, but in 1893, he was feared dead because he hadn't been seen for a while, but it turns out he had been involved in an accident in Canada. So I'm not, I don't know about his his Maybe it wasn't a train wreck. That could be. Yeah, they didn't specify that it was a train accident. Uh, but anyway, he was just fine. After that, the Albany office made him a tag that said, Oni, Post Office, Albany, New York. And um, over his travels, other stops made him tags as well. And eventually he collected so many that they had to make him like a little vest to wear all of his tags on because uh, they couldn't fit on his collar anymore. And then eventually he got so many tags that he couldn't even wear them on his vest. Like if his vest was too heavy for him. So uh, it's suggested that oh, he the eventual account of all the tags that he collected was over a thousand. Wow. And that's not just tags. That's medals as well. Oni got medals from various places for being just a good boy. Uh one of his more famous trips was to Montreal, Quebec, Canada. There, the postmaster kept him in a kennel, and a demand was sent to Albany, New York, for payment of the $2.50 that was incurred in feeding him. I'm glad he didn't <laughs> need his shots. The, the sum was collected, and Oni was sent back home. Um, so, no thanks to that guy. That's mean. Why are you keeping him in a kennel? He's a trained dog. Anyway. In 1895, the Terrier enjoyed an around-the-world trip, riding with mailbags aboard trains and steamships. He started in Tacoma, Washington on August 19th, and then he traveled for four months throughout Asia and across Europe before he returned to New York City on December 23rd in time for Christmas. And from there, uh, he went to Albany. And upon his return during Christmas week, the Los Angeles Times reported that he visited Asia, North Africa, and the Middle East. And another report claimed that the Emperor of Japan himself awarded the dog two passports and several medals bearing the Japanese coat of arms. Oni's triumphant return to American shore was recovered by newspaper or was covered by newspapers nationwide. Wow. So Oni was a was a well traveled dog. I he mean, he was very well traveled. I wonder if he they required to have a passport. Apparently, back then he didn't have to have his shot records or anything to prove he didn't have rabies or anything. Or I don't distemper. know. I mean, the Japan gave him passports, so I guess maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, unfortunately, Oni died under mysterious circumstances on June eleventh, eighteen ninety seven. Uh, it's not really clear what happened. Um, he started getting grumpy in his old age. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know, as we all do, um, he was given to a male clerk. And I guess who like he'd spent an unusual, not an unusual, but more time with. 
and so the guy took him home and allegedly Oni like attacked somebody or bit somebody or something. And so it's not clear. Probably messing with the mailbox. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but supposedly someone shot him uh, and he died. Um, so it's not really very clear how all that went down. But uh, Oni's body has been preserved and uh, taxidermied. It's on display at the Smithsonian's National Postal Museum. So if you ever want to meet Oloni, you can go to the Postal Museum in Washington, D.C. and go visit him. What's amazing as we read through all these different stories is how intuitive dogs are and just pick up on their duties and how they just learn and yeah, can do these things. Nobody taught him to, you know, take care of the mail and the mail bags and stuff. But and he only just, obviously understood that that mail was important. He guarded that bag like, like yeah. it was his mailbag. And you know what, what is interesting to me, too, uh, in researching... Um, a lot of these dogs are similar breeds. Now, I'm not breed shaming. Well, I'm, then don't do it. No, I'm not breed shaming. I'm just saying a lot of them, a lot of dogs seem to be German Shepherds. Oni was a terrier. So okay. t- terriers are supposed to be really smart dogs too. But um, a lot of German Shepherds seem to be, Yeah, it's a recurrent, yeah. recurrent theme. Okay. Well, breeds get known for, like, I don't know, for, like, their, their personality or specific and traits and yeah. behaviors. Yeah. And, like, I think the trait that stands out with German Shepherds is they are very smart, they're very loyal, and very protective of their families. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one time um, I was in Kansas, stationed in Kansas, my brother came out to visit me, and... We wanted to go out and shoot some, and so we left Manhattan, Kansas, and we went out in the countryside, and we found a farm, and so we we walked up to the front porch and knocked on the door. A lady came to the front door and her toddler, maybe two or three years old little boy, and uh, we asked, you know, if we could have permission to you know, go back on their property and shoot, and the dog, they had a German Shepherd dog, and the dog was just sitting there just wagging his tail, just as friendly as could be. And the lady said, yeah, let me go ask my husband. And she went back inside, left the toddler out there. That dog got between me and my brother, and he just sat there and growled and growled wow. at us until she came back out. And as soon as she came back out, he went right back to wagging his tail and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's... Don't touch my kid. Yeah, don't touch my kid. And that's one of the traits that... I always remember and think about with the German Shepherd. Yeah. Of course, there's a lot more, but that yeah, sticks you know, out to me. Another German Shepherd um, that I think about is Buffy. Do you remember Buffy? Yeah, I remember Buffy, Franzi's dog. Yeah, so uh, I think we've mentioned Franzi on the show before. Uh, we had a German exchange student come and live with us for a year, Franzi, um, and we she was great. And we went to go visit her uh, in Germany and her dad trains German shepherds for like the German police or something, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and they have a German shepherd. And Franzi warned us before we came. She said, you know, Buffy doesn't really like people. Uh, she she might growl at you and be aggressive a little bit at first, but then once she 
you know, we tell her that you're okay, uh, it, you'll be fine. Well, Frank had her very well trained. She never got yeah. aggressive at us. No, she didn't. But that was one of the things that they were all kind of surprised right from the get go. We walked up and she didn't, she never acted any anything other than, oh, hey, welcome, come on in. And we theorized that when Franzi went home, she smelled like us. And, uh, and okay. after living, no, I mean, after living with us for a year, she picked up our scent and the scent of our house and stuff. Franzi and, must smell pretty darn good. <laughs> and so when we went to go visit, um, Buffy already knew that scent and kind of associated our scent with her family. And then and us so being we, there with her. And, yeah. And so we were kind of like already family to yeah, her. Like and she was super, super sweet and fun and played the whole time. And, yeah. Uh, speaking of German shepherds. Uh, the next dog that we're going to feature is a dog named Tracker, and I hope I'm saying it right because it's spelled T-R-A-K-R, uh, but I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Tracker. Tracker was a German shepherd from Nova Scotia, and he was trained as a police dog. You know what? I hope that dog crossed the border, and I hope the, the people up there in Maine held that dog for $2.50 <laughs> ransom. <laughs> no. Sorry, Maine. Or, I mean, sorry, sorry Canada. <laughs> no. Um, He worked in Nova Scotia for six years as a police dog, and he helped find more than a million dollars in contraband. Tracker retired in May 2001 with his trainer, Canadian police officer James Symington. But much like our friend Kathy, Tracker left retirement, and uh, he and James drove... I hope you just did not compare (laughs) Kathy to a dog there, Kim. No, but this is a... Specifically coming out of retirement. Yeah, specifically coming out of retirement. And Tracker is a hero, just like Kathy is a hero. And you'll see why Kathy, I don't think, would mind at all being compared to Tracker when you find out what he did. So Tracker and and, uh, Officer Symington drove 15 hours from Nova Scotia to New York City to help recovery efforts after the September 11th attacks. Now, during that time, more than 300 search and rescue dogs aided their human counterparts uh, in trying to find people um, in the the Twin Towers and the rubble from September 11th, Um, miles and miles of of searching. One report found that the dogs were especially distraught at the lack of survivors they were able to find because they saw it as an unsuccessful means to their job. I, I mean, like dogs are very intuitive and they're smart. That's they so know. sad. Yeah. But Tracker was credited with finding the last survivor in the rubble, a woman who had been imprisoned under heavy concrete and steel for over 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying I don't think Kathy would mind being compared to Tracker because he's a hero. And he was an older guy. Like, he came out of retirement to do this. Two days after arriving in New York and searching for survivors the entire time, he collapsed from smoke inhalation, exhaustion, and burns, and he was treated for his injuries before returning to Canada. So he recovered, um, but later in life, Tracker did suffer from a degenerative neurological disorder that experts say was probably caused by his work at Ground Zero. Well, there's a lot of human beings that there are a lot of health things happening to those mm-hmm. guys and people right now, too. Yeah. Because of that, yeah. Uh, Tracker was recognized as one of Time Magazine's top 10 most heroic animals of all time. And here's the really cool thing. 
Before he died in April of 2009, Tracker's DNA was entered into a contest hosted by BioArts International, who had been cloning deceased family pets for a, a lot of money. Okay, now wait a minute. <laughs> that gets a little creepy to me. So, I don't know why, but it just gets a little creepy. So BioArts International had had a contest uh, called the Best Friend Again Contest. And so um, James Symington had Tracker's DNA entered into this contest, and he was chosen to be the winner. So they cloned Tracker after he had died and reunited his clone with James Symington, and uh, James continues to train Tracker's descendants and his clones to be search and rescue dogs. Okay, maybe in the working world of animals, that is a good thing because the dog had those traits and was able to do that. But as far as for me and the family pet, I don't know. I mean, we get it. We we get a dog. We get attached to it. It's a good dog. And then when unfortunately their time comes, they cross the rainbow bridge. We wait an appropriate it's amount of time, normal. and then we get a, and then we get another dog. Yeah, and. We enjoy that dog and its personality and its traits too. So maybe like in the working world, yeah, where you've got a dog that is trained or you know has those traits to be able to sniff and to do that type of work. Yeah, but I, I think for it the does, average family pet, I'm I don't know if I would do that. It does feel a little pet cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah I I, I agree. Um, but I, I it is kind of a cool idea though, and and trackers. Descendants and clone descendants and descendants of the clones, yeah, are still well and probably his clone, whatever his clone's name is. Well, his, I mean, that was two thousand nine. He might he's probably still alive. I mean, he's up there, I'm yeah, sure. But yeah. well, let me tell you about a dog named Wendy, and I, you know, I may go back on this because if I could have cloned Wendy, I think I would have. But Wendy was a dog I owned. She was an English setter. And there's just no way to describe Wendy except Wendy was a good girl. Mm. We uh, lived in Kansas at the time, and Wendy loved to hunt. Pheasant, but mostly quail. Wendy was a dog with the English setter breed. If you Google it up and you look at it, her real name, her registered name was Sweet Wendy Sue. And if you go and if you look and research English setters, the breed is generally described as a sweet disposition and that fit Wendy I mean you couldn't have picked a better way to describe that dog um I mean she, she was great with the kids never snapped never growled never barked just even tempered mm-hmm. and that that is famous for the the English setter is famous for being a good dog being out in the field to hunt as well as the family pet because a lot of bird dogs and hunting dogs like that aren't they're either they're they're made for the field and that's what they do. But the like, English setter is like known, yeah, like Jack. And we'll talk about Jack later. But Wendy was just as agile and good in the field as she was being the family dog. I, let me one story about Wendy. I was out hunting one day in Kansas and it was cold. It was about zero degrees out there. Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Yes. For for the folks listening to us in Europe. Fahrenheit. It's like negative 32 centigrade or something like that, right? Like it's really cold. It's really cold. So I shot a bird, a quail, and it fell down on a creek. 
and the creek was a stream, so the, the center of it wasn't quite frozen, and the bird fell on the ice. Wendy walked out on the ice to get the bird like she was supposed to do, and the ice broke through. Wendy fell into that freezing cold water. <sighs> I laid my shotgun down very carefully. I ran down the creek as far as I, I just ran down the creek, crawled down on the bank, slid out on the ice, you know, to distribute the weight, yeah. uh, my weight on the ice. And as Wendy went by on the ice, I reached out and I grabbed her collar and I was able to pull her back up on the ice. <sighs> the dog still had the quail in her mouth. She oh, would not, she, Wendy. Yeah, she didn't let go of the bird. Now, after that, she wasn't... It, it, she's The water was starting to freeze on her, so we had to quit and go back in. But that's just... The, the dedication yeah. that these dogs have. Um, now, that dog, Wendy, she lived in Kansas, where I got her. She lived in Virginia. She lived in California. She lived in Germany. And she lived in Ohio. Wendy lived to be almost 18 years old. But she's just one of those dogs that you'll always remember. Yeah. I uh, So, Wendy was... An elderly lady when Steve and I met, and uh, I still only, sweet, still very sweet. I only got to know Wendy for a couple of years, but she was just the best, best girl. And she was, she is missed. And we, um, you know, we still have some. There's a, is it a pheasant that you that you guys caught together? Well, we didn't catch it. Well, shot, yeah, captured. Um, hangs above uh, the door to the studio, actually. Yeah. Um. A dog similar to Wendy. I can picture Wendy doing this. Bobby the Wonder Dog. Uh, Bobby is not anything necessarily heroic like Tracker was, but Bobby is sort of the epitome of a good family dog. In August of 1923, the Brazier family was visiting relatives in Wolcott, Indiana. They are from Oregon, the Braziers are. Their two-year-old Scotch Collie English Shepherd mix, Bobby, was attacked by three other dogs and ran away while Dad Frank was pumping gas. So presumably they stopped, they let Bobby out to pee, and three stray dogs came up and started fussing at him. And Frank said the last time he saw Bobby, uh, Bobby had turned and ran. Um, and Frank wasn't super concerned because he thought that Bobby would return to where they, the house where they had been staying, um, he knew that Bobby could take care of himself, but th- Bobby never showed up. And after an exhaustive search, the heartbroken Brazier family was unable to find Bobby, and they contribute- continued their trip. Ugh, I'm having a hard time talking today. Before they returned home to Oregon, and they never expected to see their dog again in spite of leaving instructions about what to do if he should turn up. Well, guess what? I can guess. <laughs> Six Months later, one of the Brazier daughters was walking with a friend when they spotted Bobby in Oregon. Wow. Yeah. And this is a true story. This is this a is true not, story. This is not like uh, that Disney, mo- was no, it Disney movie. No, Homeward Bound. No, but no. it's no, this is the this is the true story that probably actually inspired Homeward Bound. Um, Bobby had traveled about 14 miles a day for a total of well over 2,500 miles. They say possibly as as many as 3,000 miles to get home to his family. He crossed the Continental Divide. He crossed the Mississippi River. 
I wonder deserts. if he swam or took a bridge. I, he crossed deserts. He crossed plains. He crossed mountains in the middle of winter. And so Whoa, the... I'm thinking the Donner Party here. <laughs> I know, right? Well, interestingly, the family owned a restaurant. And that night, Bobby, when he got home, he got a meal of sirloin and whipped cream. <laughs> Good for Bobby. <laughs> and word spread throughout the whole town of Silverton, Oregon. And within a week, the story made national news, as it should have. This is an account from the Humane Society of Portland. They wrote, after coming back to Wolcott and finding the braziers gone... Bobby first followed them northeast, farther into Indiana. And, oh, by the way, side note, we know all of this because people started calling up the newspapers and saying, hey, I saw Bobby. Hey, I helped take care of Bobby. So he, he went further into Indiana. Then he started striking out on what must have been exploratory journeys in various directions, perhaps trying to pick up a familiar scent to give him a sense of the direction to take. Eventually, he found what he was looking for, and struck out for the West Coast. So, in the morning, he had the the sun to his mm-hmm. <laughs> he had the sun to his back. In the yep. evening, he followed the sun. Yep. Okay. Good on, dog. <laughs> on their trip, and this is how this is this is how good Bobby's sense of smell was, and how like how how ah, dogs are just so good. On their trip, the Braziers had left their car in service stations each night. Bobby visited each of these on the way, along with a number of private homes. So he smelled where they had been to pick up gas and all of that, and he and he followed them. He also six months is a long time for us yeah, to be out there. Yeah, I mean this dog had to be part bloodhound. He he was not, but uh, but he he's amazing. He also spent some time in a hobo camp. Um, in Portland, he stayed for some time with an Irish woman who nursed him back to health after some sort of accident left his legs and paws gashed up. So, uh, and uh, I'm not so I'm not sure how he got away from the from the lady in Portland, but he did. Um, eventually, Bobby ended up getting the key to the city of Portland, as well as special permission to walk the streets free from the threat of the dog catcher. Wow. Wh- this is so, and and Bobby was the envy of other good dogs because when he died in 1927, famous good boy Rin Tin Tin, who was a real actual dog, placed a wreath on his grave, and you can visit a memorial to Bobby today in Silverton, Oregon. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. There's your English setter. Okay. Good boy, Wait, Bobby. He, he, he was, was an English setter mix. Oh. Yeah. How did I miss that? I don't know. Because hey, I, I mentioned that he was, uh, let's see, he was in a Scotch Collie English Shepherd mix. English Shepherd, not a setter. Oh, never okay. mind. <laughs> okay, hey, let let go. Ahead, tell him a little bit about Jake, who was an English setter. Jake was and- an English setter, and Jake actually kind of follows in Bobby's footsteps a little bit too. Jake was um, Kellen's mom, Steve's daughter, Pamela, uh, was her dog. And Jake was a purebred English setter. He came from the pound, which is something that you never find. Jake had belonged to somebody. We don't know who Jake's original owners were, but we do know that Jake was hit by a car. And Jake's back legs were... Messed up. Mangled. 
Uh, they At the pound, they treated him. They actually thought that they were going to have to amputate, but Jake was a strong boy, and he rallied and, and fought and did his physical therapy and all of that, and um, he made a recovery. He always did kind of walk with a little bit of a limp, but he made a recovery. He was adopted by a family or by a lady. I don't think it was even it a was whole a family. Just yep. a lady. Uh, but she lived in an apartment, and she said that Jake was too high maintenance for her, which we never understood because he's not high maintenance at all. Um, but anyway, she returned him to the Humane Society. Where they had nicknamed Jake Legs. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And lucky they did because, or she did, because Pamela found him, and he came home. And I remember when, when Pamela first got Jake, he was spoiled rotten. She used to go to Fazoli's for him. Like he was, he was just a scrawny. He was but skin typical, and bones. Typical but, the English setter breed. Yeah, if, he was if, just real skin and bones, and so she would baby him to no end. Uh, I remember I used to make him homemade dog treats, and we we just showered him. He used to love to chase water bottles. Like you could drink a water bottle, and that was his favorite toy. He didn't need a bark box. Empty, he just needed a water empty bottle. water bottles. And when Kellen was born, um, she was instantly that was Jake's girl. She would. Uh, you know, she'd be in her crib and Jake would just lay right by her crib and somebody picked her up out of her crib. He would follow you around. Whoever had the baby, Jake was right with her. And uh, and just a really good boy. And Jake lived, what, 18? 17, 18. 17, 18 there, years yeah. old. Um, they just had to put him down this past year. Um, but he was a really, really, really good dog. Very sweet, very resilient, um, and just a good boy. I guess this is a good time as any to... Uh, since we're on the English setter thing here, we have another dog named Jack. <laughs> okay, Jack, his full name is Firecracker Jack. Jack was born whelped on the 4th of July, mm -hmm. and he's an English setter, and the disposition is there, but I have never seen a dog <laughs> with as much energy as Jack the English he is setter. Nuts. He has worn a path around our yard from where he just runs in a circle all day. Like that's he'll run in a circle and, and bark at the birds in the sky and just watch you like turn his head and make sure that you're watching him run. It was, it's most of the time I call him Jack the idiot, but he's I'll tell you what. He's not an idiot. He's not, but he's a good boy. He, he's a good dog, but I like to take Jack hunting and Jack is once he gets out in the field, Jack Kim has never seen him out in the field. He, you would you would not recognize that dog. He first off, he's very very graceful. And Jack's graceful. Jack is very graceful. You've seen him. I've seen him jump up on the bed. You've seen him <sighs> jump up from the ground into the jeep, tuck and duck. Yeah, that's and get true. In the jeep. That's okay, true. but but uh, no, Jack has a good nose. He's well trained. Um, many pheasants to Jack's credit. He he. <laughs> Does exactly like he's supposed to, and uh, Jack's a good boy. He's a little stockier than your average English setter. Well, uh, what a couple months ago, Jack cut his paw. Yeah. Uh, so pub PSA here: make sure that you are keeping your dog's nails trimmed because we think that's what happened. Is his nails just got a little bit long, and as much as he runs, he we think that he caught his nail on a rock or something as he was running, and it ripped his nail. Um, and had to have it, the vet removed it and he's fine. Oh yeah, he's fine. Um, the vet removed it and he was in a, in a cone cone of shame for about two weeks. And up to that point, Jack was skinny and had the typical thin 
slender, muscular, athletic English setter frame, but something happened during those two weeks. I think he figured out that that uh, family cuddle time was actually pretty nice. And so he stopped running so much and started being more of a lap dog. And Well, when uh, Jack was a puppy, we, we needed a time to have the surgery for male <laughs> dogs. And um, he, he needed time to be with the family because so, we couldn't just, you know, do this and leave him unattended. So we went to Florida to visit my mom and dad. I guess Jack thought he was going to Disney, but boy, did he get a surprise. <laughs> Jack, speaking, was a, Jack was in the cone of shame that entire week. Speaking of surgeries, I have to tell the story. All right, now I'm going to try to keep this as family-friendly as possible, but if you have uh, children that you may not want to explain the facts of life to, you may want to have them uh, leave the room at this point in time. But Jack's uncle, Finn, is Pamela's, dog. is Pamela's other dog. Um, Finn is still very much alive and living with us uh, at the moment, but we, when Finn was a puppy, we were puppy-sitting him one evening while Pamela and Joe, I think, went to a military ball or something, and poor little Finn, he was trying to jump up on the couch, and he couldn't, and he was just kind of like he would walk and he would yelp in pain, and I finally figured out that uh, he... <laughs> He had uh, gotten excited for the first time in his little puppy life and couldn't get unexcited. And so we ended up having to take him to the emergency vet who said apparently this is not an uncommon thing, but they had to sedate poor old Finney and, uh, and, and there was some fur wrapped around his nether regions that they had to clip and then they had to, to push everything back inside where it belonged and Finn was... Not quite the same after that. <laughs> Anytime he came to visit Grandma and Granddaddy, he was a, he's been a little different. But Finn's a good boy, too. He is very skinny. He's like... If you're not familiar with English setters, if you are out walking your English setter, other people will look at it and think you're starving the poor dog to death. But that's just typical of the breed. They are very, very skinny. Except Jack right now, who <laughs> is... Portly. <laughs> He's not fat. He's just... He's portly. He's muscular. Yeah, okay. That's like calling Rupert fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me move on. I'm going to tell you about a dog named Chips. Chips is best known as the most decorated war dog of World War II. A private citizen, a guy named Edward Wren, was Chips' owner back in... I think it was like 1942. And they lived in Pleasantville, New York. Now, Chips... Again, he was a German Shepherd, Collie, Siberian Husky mix. I guess Collie is another one that mm -hmm. you see a lot of these dogs. Yeah. yeah. But the Army needed dogs for military service. So a, the Army put out a call to the public for people that had dogs that they thought might be fit for military service. Well, Chip's family knew that Chip liked to chase the mailman. The Wren family did. And so they decided that if... Chip liked to chase the mailman. Maybe he would like to chase Germans in <laughs> World War II. So, so next thing you know... You got drafted? Chip enlisted in the United States Army in 1942. Chips attended the War Dog Training Center at Front Royal, Virginia to become a sentry dog. Now, there's a difference, but he was a sentry dog. What, what does a sentry dog do? Do you know? Well, think of a sentry dog as like a patrol. He's out on patrol. Like his handler would walk with him... And he would be alert to smell people 
or things that were happening. Okay, so like I'm thinking he's not of, an, he wasn't trained to be an attack dog. He was like a guard dog. So I'm thinking of like a one, century. Of, one of your favorite shows is Hogan's Heroes. And at the beginning in the opening credits, they show like the, the POW guards walking with their German shepherds along the gate yeah, to so the POW. Would, so like that's what, what yeah, kind of so, thing Chips did? Yeah, so he would okay. like listen and hear. That's, that's what he was trained to do. Cool. So Chips Handler was a guy named Private John P. Rowell. Of the 3rd Infantry Division, Chips saw service in North Africa, Sicily, Italy, France, and Germany. Chips also served as a sentry dog for the Roosevelt Churchill Conference in 1943. But, but we'll get to that story in a minute because <laughs> there's a lot to that story too. Oh. So anyway, for Chips' heroic actions here, in the pre-dawn hours of July 10th, 1943, in southern Sicily, so- southern Sicily, in Operation Husky, the 3rd Military Police Platoon, 30th Infantry Regiment. That's who Chip was assigned to. Mm-hmm. So they were they were there in, in Sicily doing, doing their job. As dawn broke, the platoon was working its way inland when a machine gun nest hidden in what appeared to be a, a nearby peasant hut opened fire on them. Ooh. Raoul and the rest of the platoon immediately hit the ground and took cover. Chips, however, broke free from his handler, snarling and growling and barking and just acting like a mad dog, raced into the hut. (gasps) Yeah. Now, Private Rowler later said, then after Chips got in the hut, they heard an awful lot of noise and the firing stopped. The soldiers heard someone in in the hut fire a pistol. Rao said he then saw one of the Italian soldiers come out with chips at his throat. Whoa, yeah, good boy, he said, chips. He said, I called him off before he could kill the man. Whoa. Three other enemy soldiers followed out, holding their hands above their head. Medics treated chips and released him to Rao later that day. Chips, wow. chips had been shot. And, well, he also had some other uh, wounds because of that. Uh, but they, they treated him and released him. Later that night, while on guard duty, and again, Chips was trained to be a sentry dog. That later that night? Later that night, Chips alerted Rao of an enemy infiltration attempt by 10 Italian soldiers. Together, they captured all 10. So wait, 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 wait. This dog, who had been shot earlier in the day, as well as probably kicked and, and beaten, and later that night, he captured 10 more enemy soldiers? Yep. Whoa, go yep. Chips. Chips was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, the Silver Star, and the Purple Heart Medals. Now, Army regulations forbade awarding medals to animals. But in the case of Chips, General Truscott, who was the division commander, he said, he he took the attitude, the regulations be damned. He waived them, and on November 19th in Italy, he personally awarded Chips the Distinguished Service Cross. Oh, yay. It was later revoked. No. Yep. But Chips got his medal, but it was revoked. In recognition of his sacrifice and bravery and loyalty to his unit, the 3rd Infantry Division unofficially awarded Chips a theater ribbon with an arrowhead for an assault landing and battle stars for each of his eight campaigns, just as they did all his fellow soldiers. Mm. Well, now, the people back home learned of Chips' heroism in the newspapers, and stories started publishing. On 14th of July, this story was published. 14 July 1944. Most people were thrilled that this had happened to Chips, but 
it, it was not universal. The next day, the War Department released a statement that it was conducting an investigation. In addition, a gentleman named William Thomas, the national commander of the Military Order of the Purple Heart, angrily wrote a letter to the President, the Secretary of War, the Adjutant General of the United States Army, protesting that the Purple Heart was a decoration for humans, not animals. Okay, now look how this spins up. Ugh. Congress got involved. Ah, uh, I don't like this guy, this William Thomas guy. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess I get it, but how many lives did human lives did Chip save? Yeah. Okay. But I mean, I I can understand a lot of people with the Purple Heart. There, there's a lot of sentiment that goes with um, that, and it's. But anyway, Congress got into the act. They actually had to debate this for three months. The Congress of the United States debated three months over this, and it was decided that no more decorations were to be awarded to non-humans. But adding appropriate citations may be published in unit general orders. So what that meant was that CHIPS could at least be, um, could receive an honorable discharge from the Army. CHIPS gained notoriety, as I mentioned earlier, for another act that he did mm. during the conflict, including a, uh, a meeting when he was introduced to General Dwight David Eisenhower in 1945, future president of the United States. So while Chips was there, General Eisenhower bent down to pet Chips and to thank him for his ba- bravery, and guess what Chips did? Chips bit him. Oh, now, bad boy. No, and Eisenhower didn't even get upset or scold him or do anything, you know, smack him with a newspaper <laughs> or whatever, because Chips had been trained to bite anybody that wasn't his handler that tried to um, oh. tried to touch him. So, right. Sorry, and, Chips. And Good so boy. Eisenhower understood that, and Chips didn't get in trouble. <laughs> Chips, <laughs> Good. Chips didn't get court-martialed. Good job, Chips. So, Chips was discharged in 1945. Chips was sent back home to the Wren family in a wooden crate, having been honorably discharged after three years of stellar service. Oh, man. Yep. I would I would have a hard time with that if I was the Wren family, losing my dog for three years. I mean, well, I know I mean, he's doing an honorable service, but I would miss him. There were, there were a lot of sacrifices going on during World War II, and giving up your dog for military service probably doesn't compare to oh, I'm sure. a lot of I other know. stuff. I know, but so, I, would, I would miss him if he, if yeah. he was my dog. I'd be sad. Well, a lot of... A lot of families miss their sons and daughters. But, that went. D- but don't didn't did um if you if you had a family member that served in the war, is it like now where they get to go home on leave occasionally? Occasionally they could, but it, the dogs didn't. Probably, probably not. not. I mean, I mean no, yeah, they would no. forget all their training and stuff. So anyway, after Chips got home, he died seven months later after returning back to uh, Pleasantville, Pleasantville, New York. His obituary stated his family sent him into military service because he had bitten a garbage collector. <laughs> now, okay. <laughs> I, the story I always heard was that he liked to chase the mailman up and down the fence. In 1990, Disney made a TV movie based on his life, and the movie's called Chips the War Dog. You know, while we're, while we're locked up here. Yeah, I bet you can find it on Amazon. I bet we can find it. Or it's probably on Disney+. Plus. If you have Disney+, Plus. probably. I bet it's on there. In 2018, Chips was awarded the PDSA Dickin Medal for his efforts during the war. Now, the Dickin Medal is a British honorary award for animals that they do. Um, let me interrupt you one more time, uh, because I would assume that you would know, as a retired soldier, 
do they have, does the, the army or any of our United States military, do they now have animal specific awards and medals that, that I don't, I don't dogs think can so. Get? No, I know that animals like dogs right now are given a military rank and it's always one rank above what their handler is above their handler, above their handler. So huh. if you are a sergeant, your dog is going to be a staff sergeant. Okay, so the honor was accepted by John Wren, who was the little boy at the time. Mr. Wren was 76 years old, still lived in New York. His father was the one that donated chips to, uh, to the Army in 1942. Chips was one of 10,425 dogs that saw service in the Quartermaster Corps under what was then called the new Canine Corps. The Canine Corps was the culmination of a program begin for dogs for Defense, a civilian organization created in January 1942 by a group of notable dog experts to include the American Kennel Club. So the main purpose of these dogs, again, Sentry, was the vulnerability of the America's long coastlines to infiltration by saboteurs and people like that. So the plan was they would get these dogs, train them, give them to the Army and to the Coast Guard, to patrol the beaches and probably, you know, war plants and stuff like that. Hmm. But roughly a thousand dogs were trained as scout dogs, and Chip was eventually trained as one of those scout dogs. Aww. Yeah. Good dog. Good dog, Chips. I think now we're going to talk about a dog. Saved the best for last. That Kim, th- this dog is a very, very special dog. This is the best dog ever that lived in the entire world. Uh, His name is Rupert. You know him. You love him. He's been featured on all of our social medias. He's been on the show. Um, Rupert is the... He's actually not down here right now. He should be. But he's. I think he's upstairs with the kids. We got Rupert when he was a puppy. And he may not be heroic in the traditional sense of the word. Um, but... He's very smart. When he was a puppy, he learned he was he went through a chewing phase. Do you remember that? Yep. He especially liked pillows. And we used to always have like feather pillows on our on our uh, couch. Like, you know, when you're laying around doing oh, nothing. we would come home and there wouldn't be feather pillows. Oh my There'd gosh, be feathers piles everywhere. Of feathers everywhere. Rupert, when he was a puppy, just used to tear into them. I was so mad one day he um, we bought a brand new pre-lit Christmas tree. We didn't even get it all the way up. Like we got it part of the way up and then had to leave the house for a few minutes and we came back and Rupert had destroyed it. It was, you know, $200 down the drain. And it's not like he didn't have toys. Oh no, this dog has always been spoiled, but he, uh, but he's so darn cute that you couldn't do anything about it except scold him. And then he just looked cute at you and but then you feel bad. He learned fast because he did learn he would, very fast. Like a lot of puppies, he would jump up on you, Yeah, but he learned very quickly. And he, to this day, he's <laughs> he got doesn't this, jump on you. He, he jumps straight up and straight down. Yeah. He won't touch you when he gets excited. He jumps, he jumps up in the air, but he won't touch you. He just jumps up in the air and jumps straight back down. When he was a pup, he loved to play fetch. He did. Um, he still does. He still does. He he's but just never been real great at the four the, or five times, and he, don't throw it too far. Yeah, and and he's for a golden retriever. He's not great at retrieving. Like he'll he'll go get it, and then he'll bring it back to you, but he won't let it go. Like it's just it's my toy now. So, um, but Rupert has always been. He he hasn't won any medals. He hasn't done any any. Thing notable like that we tried to get him into therapy dog school 
but Rupert is kind of a homebody. And now let me let me interrupt here. Rupert knew all the commands. He did. He, he still Rupert does. Knows he how follows to sit, them. Sit, stay, heal, come. Yeah. And you could tell him to sit and walk away. He would sit there. But like Kim said, he's a homebody and he loves his yard. He loves his house. Yeah. But you don't want to take him out of his environment. Yeah. Because he got so stressed out during this training that he was doing everything like he should. But But you could tell he he was was just not feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the sponsoring organization um, said, you know, he's clearly a good dog and clearly he can, he could do this, but I mean, we can tell that he's, he's, he's not testing well, like he's got test anxiety and we just don't think that he would be cut out for a therapy dog. Um, And, and we said, okay, that's fine. So Rupert does therapy now. Rupert does therapy, and I'm going to tell a story in just a minute about um, the kind of therapy that he does. But he, this past year, uh, when we went up to Maine, um, he got his Bark Ranger badge from Acadia National Park. So he is a certified Bark Ranger. And so uh, this is kind of a cool story. At one point, he lost it. Like, he's really proud of his Bark Ranger badge. You would think that, I mean... I know what people are going to say. Like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just like a little tag on his chain. But he did lose it. And he, like, moped around for a couple of days afterwards. And so I wrote to, um, it was over the winter, so I wrote to the people at Acadia and I said, hey, you know, our dog, and I explained that, um, you know, we're really proud of him and he's a great dog, but he he does a lot of great work with the kids and, um, we'll talk about that in a minute too, but he lost his bark ranger badge and he's kind of sad. I said, can I buy one online anywhere? Cause I can't find anything. And the good folks at Acadia national park, not only sent us a new bark ranger badge for Rupert, but they also sent us a book about a dog that had, um, I think her name is Molly or something like that had visited Acadia and took lots of pictures. And so they said, you can read this to the, to Rupert and to the kids and, so shout out to the good folks at Acadia. So Rupert hangs around at the nook with all the kids. Uh-huh. And um, when we say a therapy dog, Rupert has taught, I don't know, we, we you've had Several. kids of kids that have come in here that have been afraid of dogs. Yes. And Rupert has He is very good. Um every kid that came has ever come through the nook has learned animal safety and they can all tell you the proper way to approach a strange dog. First of all, you ask for permission to pet. Um, you always come in from the side and Rupert is very, very gentle, very kind. He lets them practice on him. Um, lets me use him as a demonstration tool. Uh, there was one little girl who, when she first started coming, she was absolutely terrified of dogs to the point where her parents are like, well, we'll, we'll give it a try, but we're not really sure that this is the place for her. By the time she went to kindergarten, now this little girl started with us when she, I think she was two, maybe three. And by the time she went to kindergarten, I have a picture of her somewhere laying on the floor, reading a book, leaning up against Rupert. Um, and she just, she loved him. All the, all the kids love him. Now, Rupert was also very protective because, I mean, not that he would get aggressive, but there, there were times where a, a strange man would come in the house, maybe to work on the cable or do something like that, mm-hmm. and Rupert would stand. Now, I do want to mention, we keep talking about him in past tense. We're not ta- Rupert is fine. Yeah. Um, we're just using past tense because the, the nook has mostly folded at this point. So, yeah. But Rupert would um, position himself 
between the kids and whoever the man, it was always a man, mm-hmm. who would come in to be, do, do work on the house or something like that. Rupert would never growl, never show aggression, but he would always just reposition himself mm-hmm. where he stayed between the kids and whoever the stranger was. So Ru- Rupert knew stranger danger. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, though, when, I mean, Rupert and I really bonded. We were always close, but I think um, probably the event that really uh, bonded us and, and really made us inseparable was the baby. Um, I I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the show before, but I lost a baby um, in 2012. Uh, we had been trying for a long time, gone through treatments and everything. And um, when I finally got pregnant, we were really excited. And then I had a miscarriage. And Rupert knew, I think even before we did, um, that something was wrong. And he would, he knew uh, when I was going through the miscarriage, he would just come and he would lay on the couch with me. And he yeah, would, but he would crawl up so, so gentle. So slow and easy. And he was still kind of a puppy. So if he, he would, if he would go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. he would follow you and just sit outside the door and wait on you. He was what, about a year? Yeah, he was he a was, pup. So he was, he was not like a puppy puppy, but he was an older, older puppy. And he would just sit outside the bathroom and he would just be so calm and was always with me. And from that day forward, Rupert's been my shadow and he's my best buddy. And he may not be oh, as well-traveled as some of, you know, Oni and Chips, but... Well, he has. He's traveled a lot. He's been a lot of places. He's when, been a lot of places when, in, the, in the country. He, but. he just so... When we went up to Michigan, he missed the kids. Yeah. And we would go up there and he'd be on his leash <laughs> and he would approach like toddlers and he would just lower, he'd want to, he'd want to play with them uh-huh. and he would lower his head so he wouldn't be threatening. And you know, the parents can, they pet him and yeah, he'd wag his tail and we'd say, yeah, they can pet him. He's safe. And they would come up and before you'd know it, they'd be hugging on him uh, and he'd just he be there kids. wagging his tail. Oh, that one time at the beach. Those little girls were just throwing the stick yeah. out in the <laughs> he water. He played fetch with some little stranger girls, and, and he would drop the stick for them. Yeah, it, yeah, that was like the one time that Rupert actually played fetch properly. But so, uh, so we wanted to wrap up the show with our very own good boy Rupert. Um, you know, he is uh, he 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 really is my best friend, and I love him very, very, very much. So, with today's show, we wanted to kind of take. Uh, everything that's going on with the coronavirus and tell you just some good stories about some dogs. You know, it's a feel good show. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you guys need a little bit of levity sometimes and, yeah. and take a break from all of this seriousness that's going on. Um, a couple things I want to plug real quick. Uh, if you're looking for stuff to do, um, Mo Willems on YouTube every day at one o'clock has uh, lunch doodles with Mo. Uh, for and what does Mo do, Kim? Mo Willems is a children's author and illustrator. Um, he his best known books are probably the Pigeon Books, and uh, he's very well loved in this in this house. Um, so if you have younger kids or even older kids, uh, Mo has a thing every day at one o'clock on YouTube. Um, check out. Uh, just look locally uh, wherever you are. Chances are there are local artists and uh, musicians that are doing shows. I know uh, locally here in the Dayton area, if you follow Chad Wells, he does a local acoustic performance every day at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so lots of lots of stuff out there for you to do when you're bored. Okay, 
We have listeners literally from around the world, and we are curious. If uh, you would just take a moment and send us an email to... Alosthour at gmail.com. And, and tell us how your community is, how you're getting along with the coronavirus, with the emergencies that are going on. Yeah. And so let, let us know how you're doing, yeah. and because we care. Yeah, yeah. Let us know how you're doing. Uh, if you have something cool that you're doing in your neighborhood, um, you, you know, let us know that too, and we'll share that information. Another one of my favorite things that's going on right now is the bear hunt. Uh, we did this with the girls the other day. Um, I think it's a local thing, but I'm I'm hoping it takes off at least Ohio-wide, maybe nationwide. Basically, the idea is you put a teddy bear in your front window, and if you're not totally locked out on quarantine, you can go for a walk in your neighborhood or go for a, go for a drive and look in the um, like the windows of the houses as you pass by and see if you can see the teddy bear and just go on a bear hunt. We did that the other day. It was fun. All right. All right, so socials, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um it is an hour of your life on Facebook and Instagram, a lost hour on the Twitter. And again, our email address is a lost hour at gmail.com. So we're going to uh, get out of here today. And we hope that when that we're all safe and healthy, we hope that you are all safe and healthy to listen us to next, listen to listen to us <laughs> next week. Hopefully next and, week we'll be able to talk better. And we hope that we're healthy enough to be able to put this show out next week. So everyone, stay, stay healthy. And yeah. from our studio in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Lots of sources this week. They include Wikipedia, TopDogTips.com's article, 10 Most Famous Dogs in History, Time Magazine's article, Top 10 Heroic Animals, Offbeat Oregon History, Canaday.com, The Story of Chips the War Dog, InsideEdition.com, Defense Media Network, Chips the War Dog of the 3rd Infantry Division. Thanks.